All right. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 835 in the Black Bibles that are provided there. Matthew 28, 16. Uh, today, we are concluding our series through the Gospel of Matthew. So that's, that's kind of cool. Um, we began, I look back in my computer files here, and we began preaching through the Gospel of Matthew on December 1st. 2019. So that was over three years ago. Now we took some breaks along the way, right, you know, to do some topical things. Um, let's see, COVID, right, hit, you know, and so we, we spent some time kind of thinking about that and, and you know, what, certainly trying to direct our, our um, hearts to the sovereignty and care of the Lord. But um, it's kind of neat to be thinking back over the last few years. I remember preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, outside with you at the Whitakers, and, um, and now here we are today. Um, so we've spent a lot of time studying the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ in order to grow as disciples of Christ, which is what we'll be um, focusing on today as well. So I'd ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, our text today will be Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 through 20. So please follow along as I read. Let's hear God's word together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It doesn't quite come out in our English translation here, but there's actually four alls there, right? You see three of them, right? All authority all nations, all that I've commanded you. And then the last one is, I'm, behold, I'm with you all days, literally is what it says. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. In these last verses of the Gospel of Matthew, we have what is commonly called the Great Commission. The risen Lord Jesus Christ commissions his disciples with the task of carrying on his ministry. This command is certainly given to the 11 disciples here, but there may have also been other followers of Jesus there on the mountain as well. But either way, this command serves as a paradigm for all future disciples of Jesus, all future followers of Christ. All of Jesus' disciples are to be disciple-makers. And let me just pause and, and explain, when I say disciple, I'm not talking about some kind of like graduate level Christian. Every Christian is a disciple. A Christian, disciple, follower of Christ, those are all synonyms. <laughs> We're all disciples, and 
And then every Christian, every disciple is called to be a disciple maker. And I'll talk more about what a disciple is later in the sermon. But I just wanted to make that clear right at the beginning. The title of the sermon today is Disciples Making Disciples. Disciples Making Disciples. If you look on your bulletin, the mission statement for Abounding Grace Church is making disciples by following the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's our mission statement, but we often summarize it by simply saying disciples making disciples. So this is an important sermon for us today because it will, will remind us who we are called to be as disciples of Jesus. And it will also remind us of the mission our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us as his church. So before we dive into Christ's words there, his commission in verses 18 through 20, let me set the context. Last week we saw the two Marys come to Jesus' tomb expecting to apply spices to Jesus' dead body. They had watched Jesus die on the cross. They had seen Jesus be buried in this new tomb with the stone rolled in front of the entrance. But when they arrived on that Sunday morning, they found Jesus' tomb empty. The stone was rolled away. An angel was sitting on top of the stone. And he told them the amazing news that Jesus was alive. He gave them some other instructions. But then as they... We're leaving to tell the disciples this news. Then they, they themselves saw Jesus alive, raised in a glorified body. They saw him risen from the dead and they fell at his feet and worshipped him. The same reaction we're going to see from the other disciples here in our text today. Right? They worshipped him because they realized, they saw Jesus is God in the flesh. He has done what no one else could do. He has triumphed over the grave. Jesus was alive. He wasn't a, a vision. He wasn't a ghost. He was alive in, a, in, in flesh and blood, in a body. And so they worshipped him. And then Jesus told the Marys basically the same thing that the angels had told them. He told the Marys to go take this wonderful news to the disciples and to tell them that he would meet with them in Galilee. And so now this morning, as we come to verse 16, the disciples have, no doubt, you know, they've heard from, from the Marys, right? We can read about that in some of the other gospel accounts. And now they have um, made this trip to Galilee, as Jesus instructed, and they're meeting the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me again at verse 16. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So there in Galilee, which is pretty cool because if you think about it, they've kind of come full circle, right? In Galilee, that's where Jesus first called the disciples to follow him. And that's where he, he did a lot of his ministry. And so they, they've been living, they lived with him, right? And heard a lot of his teachings, saw his miracles. And a lot of that took place in Galilee. And now here he is having offered himself up on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. Now God has raised him from the dead, and here the risen Lord Jesus is meeting with them back in Galilee. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Think what emotions they were experiencing, right? Because again, we can read about this in some of the other gospel accounts, like in, in Luke 24, when two of the disciples are, are 
uh, actually are walking on the road to Emmaus and <laughs> the risen Lord Jesus Christ comes up beside them. They don't realize it's him, right? They're kind of kept from recognizing that at first. But they, we know that they had hoped, they had thought that he was the Messiah, Right? They had believed that Jesus was the promised king sent from God. And, and again, these 11 had been with him. They had lived with him. They had followed him. They had seen him do what no mere man could do. But then, despite the fact that Jesus had consistently prepared them for this, and as they were headed to Jerusalem, he had told them what was going to happen to them. But despite that, when Jesus, when Jesus died, when he had been crucified, the disciples had become disillusioned. They had become hopeless. They thought, well, maybe we were wrong, right? Maybe we were mistaken. Maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah. Or, or, you know, they were just disillusioned, I think is a good word. But now that they, you know, they hear the news from the Marys. And and I'm sure they've been trying to process that. And now they see Jesus himself, the risen Lord Jesus. And so they fall down and they worship him. They realize Jesus is who he claimed to be. He truly is the Son of God. He truly is the promised Savior King. The the resurrection has vindicated Jesus. It's it's proven that he is who he claimed to be. And the resurrection shows that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And so there on that mountain there in Galilee, they worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 17 does say some doubted, right? And maybe uh, some English translations Use the word hesitated. Some hesitated. The verb is distazo, which it's only used one other time in the New Testament, which kind of makes it a little tricky, right? Um, it's used in Matthew 14.31 when Jesus is walking on the, the waves and Peter goes out and joins Jesus, right? Walking on the water. And, uh, but then Peter starts to sink and Jesus tells him, why did you doubt? Right there is the other time it's used. So the verb describes not so much intellectual doubt, but more of kind of like a bewilderment and, and fear, which causes you to not know how to respond, right? And, and I think that, that probably gets it at what some of the disciples were feeling there on, up on the mountain there in Galilee. You know, it's, it's kind of like the resurrection of Jesus, it's, it's just overwhelming to them. It's kind of too much for them to comprehend at first, Right? You know, what, what is this? this? This is so wonderful, but yet, you know, I'm almost afraid to fully embrace this and believe this because, you know, I'm afraid it's going to be like just a dream or something, right? Too good to be true. Uh, also, some commentators have pointed out that, you know, again, think about, like I say, all the emotions that the disciples are feeling at this point. Um, remember, the disciples deserted Jesus, Right? And now here they are, you know, so maybe some of them are, are kind of withdrawn, right? Maybe, maybe they're stricken with guilt over how they had deserted Jesus at his arrest. But it's, it's beautiful here, and, and it's, it's easy to not notice it. But Jesus doesn't leave them in their withdrawn and confused state. Verse 18 actually begins with three verbs in the original. It says, literally, Jesus came to them spoke to them, and said. And I think that's beautiful. It's not like Jesus is just like, okay, well, here's the Great Commission, right? No, it's like, you know, again, if some of them are kind of withdrawn, confused, guilty, Jesus comes to them. He meets them. He speaks to them. 
and says. It's like he restores them before he gives them the great commission. And of course, the Gospel of John shows um, how Jesus did that specifically with Peter, right? Because Peter had denied the Lord Jesus three times. So now in verses 18 through 20, we're going to consider Christ's mission for his church. And I want us to, to note how our mission as the church is rooted in the person and the promise of Christ himself. So that's how I've arranged the outline this morning. If you want to take notes, you see it there in, in the bulletin. I'll make three points about Christ and then how that relates to his mission for us as his church. So here's the first one. Christ's authority. Christ's authority. And we're going to see that his authority is the basis for our mission. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore. See that therefore it's linked, right? Before Jesus gives the disciples their mission, he first declares the fact of his supreme universal authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, Jesus faithfully completed his mission from the Father his mission to, to come to humble himself, leave the glories of heaven, take on a human nature, live as a man under God's law. And he lived a perfect sinless life and then to willingly die on the cross, to offer himself up as a sacrifice for sin in the place of his people, to pay their punishment, to pay the penalty for their sins. And so his sinless life made him that spotless sacrifice on the cross. His sinless life secured the righteousness that would be credited to his people. And he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. His suffering and death paid the penalty for the sins of his people. His death fully satisfied the holy wrath of God against those sins, the sins of Christ's people. And so Jesus was obedient. He had completed the Father's mission. Therefore, God the Father exalted him. God the Father vindicated him through the resurrection and then through the ascension 40 days later. God raised him from the dead and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. And again, we could read about this in Acts chapter 1, but 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven, right, bodily, uh, truly God, truly man, In in a glorified body, he ascended into heaven, and he reigns now from the Father's right hand there in heaven. And remember, the angels said, why are you looking up into heaven? You know, this same Jesus will come to you again, right? So we await his return, his bodily return one day. But notice that Jesus here declares he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, (laughs) That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? It does cover everything. That's all the bases there. This is universal authority. The Father vindicated Jesus before those and above the, over those who tried to destroy him. Both the, both the you know, uh, human enemies, but also the spiritual enemies, right? Jesus is exalted above them. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. A good... Uh, cross-reference here would be Ephesians 1.21. 
That actually comes at the end of one of Paul's prayer for the, uh, for the church there in Ephesus. But he says of Christ there in Ephesians 1.21 that he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. So again, one of those all-encompassing statements just saying Jesus is supreme over all other authorities, physical and spiritual. Think of any kind of authority in your life, right? You know, whether you're thinking parents or you're thinking uh, 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 governing officials, school boards, whatever it is, governors, presidents, Jesus is over them. And then think about spiritual authorities, right? Spiritual powers, angels, demons, even the devil himself, who's an angel, right? A fallen angel. Jesus is sovereign and supreme over them. Jesus is sovereign over any kind of power, temptation, sin, even death itself. Jesus rules over all. He possesses ultimate authority over all things. He rules over all things in all places for all time. Right? We're talking about the word all, right? Let's just keep using it, right? As we, as we flesh this out, as we think about it. Notice that Christ's all-encompassing universal authority is the basis for our mission. Like I said earlier, he tells him in 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We'll consider the details of making disciples in a minute. But again, just notice the Great Commission is rooted in this fact, this reality that all authority belongs to Christ. And so that helps us even understand what the gospel is, right? The gospel is good news. It's news that is proclaimed. And the gospel is more than just an offer. It is an offer. Don't get me wrong. It's an offer of forgiveness of sins, entrance into his kingdom. But it's more than just an offer. The gospel is a declaration that Jesus is Lord. We're proclaiming that. And because Jesus is Lord, because Jesus possesses all authority, he has the right to be worshipped by all. Therefore, he commands his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. People from every tribe, people from every language and, and tongue, people group, no matter their culture, no matter their religious upbringing, people need to worship the Lord Jesus because he is worthy of all worship. He alone is Lord. He alone is the Savior. People need to worship Jesus. He is their creator. He is the one true Savior. He is the one who defeated sin and death. Again, on Sunday nights, we're studying Colossians with the young adults. And, and, and it, uh, there's a beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, where it talks about the, the supremacy and centrality of Christ. All things were made through him and for him. And then he is head of the church. He's, he's the, uh, the author of the creation and the author of the new creation. And so he is worthy to be worshipped by all. Christ's universal lordship then gives us confidence. So again, thinking about how these are connected, right? The Great Commission, okay? Uh, Christ is worthy to be worshipped, right? We have, we have a right to, to proclaim that he should be worshipped, 
And it gives us confidence to go into the world and make disciples, right? If, if Christ were not Lord of all, we, it would be appropriate to ask, well, what right do we have, right, to tell people to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus? What right do we have to, to go tell some, someone, you know, who's a, a Buddhist or, or a, a, a Muslim and say, well, no, you're worshiping a false religion. You need to worship Jesus, right? What right would we have to say that if Christ were not Lord of all? But he is, and he is the one true, uh, the one and only way to the Father, right? He is the eternal Son of God, and he is the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have that right. We have that commission. We have that privilege and that responsibility. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the final judge before whom every person will stand. So it is right for us to go and tell. It is loving for us to tell others the gospel that Jesus is Lord because one day they're going to stand before him. Again, we, we began our service this way, right? Philippians 2, that he's been given the name above all names and, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so one day they will all bow before him. And and what the Bible makes clear is we have all sinned against him, right? We've all sinned against God. But currently, he's, he's graciously granting forgiveness and entrance into his kingdom for all who call out to him in repentance and faith. So we have that good news to take to others. Jesus is Lord. You've sinned against him. But he is a gracious and forgiving king. And if you will forsake your sin and by faith embrace him as Savior and Lord, he will forgive you. He will um, adopt you into his family. He'll, he'll bring you into his kingdom. He'll actually indwell you by his spirit. And so I proclaim that today to all of you. If any of you have not turned from your sins, if you're not united to Christ by faith, then the good news is, uh, of the gospel is that he forgives all who turn to him, to all who call on him. And so do that today. Forsake your sin. Run to Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that he, you need a Savior and acknowledge that he is the only Savior. Because Jesus is Lord of all, we must proclaim the gospel even when the world tells us not to. No matter what is socially acceptable, no matter what company policy is, no matter what the law says, loved ones, we have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus to make disciples and we must obey God rather than men. You see that? You see the connection here? I mean, we see the apostles doing that in Acts, don't we? The, the religious leaders, the same ones who, right, you know, orchestrated the, the, the death of Jesus... They have rejected him, right? They, they beat the apostles. They, they put them in jail. And don't, don't, uh, proclaim, don't preach anymore in this name. And they're like, we must obey God rather than men. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has told us to do this. Let the chips fall where they may, they're basically saying. Now again, don't, don't misunderstand me. We're, we're called to be 
good employees, right? I'm not talking about, you know, not getting your job, not getting your work done that you're being paid for because you're, all you're doing is witnessing. I'm not talking about that. Certainly you should be living out the gospel and being a good employee. But may we not um, shrink back from proclaiming the gospel as God gives us opportunity and let's pray for those opportunities to point others to Jesus. That he is Lord and he is Savior. He, he has been so good to me. It is always right and loving for us to prayerfully make disciples to take the gospel to the lost. We have our orders from the highest authority, the Lord Jesus. And again, because Jesus is Lord of all, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, we know that Jesus can change any heart. As Lord of all, Jesus has the power to open blind eyes, to grant the new birth, to set people free from bondage to sin. He has the power to open doors for the gospel, to work all things together, even people's rejection, even persecution that would come. He has the power to work all of that together for our good and for his glory. So having declared his authority, now in verse 19, we move into Christ's commission. That's point number two. Christ's commission. This is the content of our mission. All right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, again, it's helpful when you're studying the, the Bible, and especially, you know, statements like this, you, you look at, okay, what's the command? Where's the main verb? Where's the main command? And in the Greek, there's one word of command here, and then there's three participles that, that explain how that command is to be carried out. The root command here is make disciples. Make disciples. And then there's three participles that are literally going, baptizing, and teaching. So Jesus commands us here to make disciples, how? By going, baptizing, and teaching. Make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? It's a follower of Jesus Christ, right? A disciple is a learner. A disciple, you know, in their day, a disciple followed his rabbi in order to learn from him. And why was he learning from him? In order to become like him. So disciples of Jesus are those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior and are following Jesus as their Lord. Again, a disciple, Christian, same thing, right? Disciples reorient their lives in order to be with Jesus, right? That was something that was, that was uh, central to this, right? Is it wasn't just going, you know, like we do in college now or wherever, right? Going and hearing from a professor for an hour, three times a week. No, it was like... Wow, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to like live with you. I'm going to be with you so that I can hear your teachings, so that I can observe how you live. And so disciples are to reorient their lives in order to be with Jesus. So that means we today daily spend time with him in worship and fellowship. We abide in him and, and have his words abide in us. Disciples are committed to learning from Jesus, obeying his commands, and following his example. And again, we know we're not going to do that perfectly, not anywhere close to perfectly. As Pastor John uh, 
led us in prayer, right? He, he confessed for all of us, we, we, we fall short every day. We sin. But by God's grace, we, we know we're forgiven and we continue to, to cling to Jesus. Uh, we confess our sins, continue to cling to the gospel, cling to Jesus, knowing that in him we're forgiven, knowing that in him we're declared righteous, that we're loved, we're adopted. And then we ask for his, his grace and help to, to change, to grow, to, keep, to be faithful, to follow him. So much teaching about this in the scriptures, right? Disciples are no longer to live for themselves, but to live for him who died for us. Notice that our, so that's our, our mission. And again, we'll flesh it out here in a minute. But again, just notice that this mission has a worldwide scope, right? We're to make disciples of all nations. And that was huge, right? Think about where we're at in, in redemptive history here, right? He's telling his Jewish disciples, right? Uh, him being, uh, having lived as a Jew, a Jewish rabbi, he's telling his Jewish disciples that my people aren't going to just be made up of Jews anymore. <laughs> my people aren't going to just be made up of one ethnic group, one national group. No, they're going to come from all nations. And we know the Old Testament gave hints of this, right? As we just read earlier in Psalm 67. It took the disciples, the early church there, a little time to grasp this. But you, you see God teaching them and growing them and opening those doors through, as we go through the book of Acts. Through Peter's experience with Cornelius in Acts 10. Through Saul's conversion and his ministry to the Gentiles. God made it clear that he was calling Jews and Gentiles to himself. And so then that, that truth continues today, right? We're to make disciples of all people everywhere without distinction. Again, why? Because Jesus is Lord of all. He is the only way. He is the only mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2.5 says. And again, that's, that's one of the, the great ways, the glory of the gospel, specifically the glory of Christ, is, is made manifest in the fact that he saves people from, from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of different false religions, from all kinds of in, in enslavements to various types of sins, from various socioeconomic backgrounds. Jesus saves them all. Right? The, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He saves people from all kinds of backgrounds. Like Peter will declare in Acts 4.12, right? There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And so one of the things we need to keep in mind as we talk about the Great Commission is we, we evangelize, and, and, and I'm going to talk about it. it's, it's more than just evangelizing, right? But, but thinking about taking the gospel to the lost, we evangelize not only because we don't want to see people spend eternity in hell, and certainly that is true, right? We need to... Uh, have the, the compassion and love of Jesus and, and see people even in their, well, especially in their sin. And even if that sin is repulsive or, or offensive to us, but we see them as sheep without a shepherd. Or we see them, as, as the Bible says, they're enslaved just like we once were. They're blind just like we once were. They're lost just like we once were. So yes, we have great compassion and love for people. But that's not the only reason we evangelize, right? We, we also evangelize because we want to see the fame of Christ spread. Again, he is Lord of all. And we want to see more and more people gladly confess that Jesus is Lord. 
Again, Philippians 2 says, on the last day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, but for many it will have been too late, right? That will be kind of like a forced confession, and they having died in their sins, they'll be cast into hell. But we want to see, by God's grace, by his regenerating work, people gladly confess now that Jesus is Lord. Jesus taught us to pray this, right, in the Sermon on, or, yeah, in the, sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We're wanting to see him hallow his name. We're wanting to see him glorify his name. And so that's, we pray for missions. We pray for the gospel to go to all peoples. That Christ would be glorified. So what does this entail, making disciples? Again, I've kind of been focusing, I guess you could say, on or emphasizing the evangelism part. Well, what does the verse say? Remember, there's three participles that explain what this mission involves. Going, baptizing, and teaching. So let's consider those aspects very briefly here. And I'll even give a a summary statement for it if if you want to jot it down take notes. Number one, going. What does that mean? Well, you could, you could describe it this way. Engaging the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Engaging the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to go into the world. Right? We're not to wait for people to come to us to hear. We're to take the gospel to them. And this is convicting, right? Because I know it's, it's, it's easy to, to lose sight of that. It's easy to just kind of get in our little bubble, Right? But may God help us be a church that engages the lost. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about now because of what what Christ has done for us. We're ambassadors for Christ. and, And we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't see people the same way we used to see them. Again, we see them as, as sheep without a shepherd. We see them as, as souls, eternal souls that need to be reconciled to their creator. And so may we be a church that engages the lost in our, in our daily lives. May we invite our neighbors and coworkers into our home with wisdom and discernment. May we enter into their world and, and befriend them, right? And, but we don't stop at simply being a friend. We pray for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. To tell them how Jesus left heaven to, became a, to become a man. To how he lived this sinless life. How he died in the place of sinners. Tell them how he rose again, defeating sin and death. Tell, him how, tell them how he's a, a good king. A sovereign king. A faithful king. Gracious king. Urge them to repent. Urge them to believe in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins. So we're to be going Secondly, we're to be baptizing. That means calling for public identification with Christ. All right, we've been blessed to have a couple of baptisms uh, earlier this year, right? A couple of baptism Sundays where we saw several do that. Several publicly identify with Jesus through the waters of baptism. Publicly declaring that they've turned from their life of sin and they've trusted in Jesus as their Savior. And by God's grace, they're going to follow him as their Lord. Again, Jesus is not looking for secret followers. Right? He's looking for people who publicly identify with him through baptism. 
And so that's why baptism is an essential part of disciple making. Because it, it is that going public. It is, it is um, asking others to help you. Right? You're, you're publicly saying, I'm, I, by God's grace, am saved and want to follow Christ. Please help me. Please keep me accountable. You're becoming part of the church. Right? Together we're following Christ. It's, and, and again, we talk about this whenever we have a baptism, right? But it's, it's, it's uh, symbolizing what God has already done in you spiritually. That he's made you a new creation. That your old, Like Romans 6 says, that your old life that was enslaved to sin has died. It's been buried with Christ. By God's grace, you're united to Christ in faith. And so you've been raised a new creation to live for him. So Jesus commands that all who would follow him go public with their allegiance to Christ through baptism. And again, as we think about and pray for the persecuted church, and that costs them something to go public, right? It would, for many of them, it would be a lot easier to just kind of be a secret follower of Christ. But in obedience to, to their Lord and Savior, they by faith go public and, and identify with Christ and identify with his church. Trusting that, again, whatever consequences come from that. He's in control, and he's going to faithfully provide and preserve. So the last one, then, we've seen going, we've seen baptizing, teaching. Teaching, making sure the commands of Jesus are known and obeyed. That's how you could summarize this. Making sure the commands of Jesus are known and obeyed. The new life of a disciple is a life of obedience to Jesus' Jesus's commands. Right? Again, that's what it means. We're, becoming a Christian is not just saying, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, please save me from that. Right? I mean, that is part of it. Don't get me wrong. But it's trusting in him as your Savior and Lord. It's saying, I realize I've been living for myself. That's what sin is, right? Sin is living for yourself, ignoring God's commands and, and going your own way. And so becoming a Christian is saying, by God's grace, I no longer want to live that way. That old way of living has died. Now I want to live for Jesus. And so I'm, I'm saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And how does Jesus rule over us? Through his word. By his spirit. Taking the word and, 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 and sanctifying us, instructing us. And so, yes, being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, means, again, you're a learner. You're, you're seeking to learn what Jesus requires of you. In other words, how he calls you to live. So teaching is an important part of disciple making, right? It, it's not about just seeing how many people can walk an aisle or sign a card or whatever. It's, I mean, yes, reach the lost, but, but then build into them with the word of God. So that... Why? Again, so that they will bring glory to, to the Lord Jesus. Because as we, what is God doing in the life of, of, of believers? He is sanctifying them from one de degree of glory to another to become more like Jesus. Remember, we learn from the Messiah in order to become like him. And so the more we, we learn, the more by God's grace he sanctifies us through his word, just like Jesus prayed in John 17, the more we will bring glory to Jesus because 
will be reflecting something of him to others, to each other, to the lost. And so teaching is such an important piece of disciple making. So it's interesting, isn't it? Again, it's like we're, we're called to do both things at the same time. We ourselves are followers of Christ, so we're to be learners. But we're also called to be disciple makers, so we should also be teaching and pouring the word of God into people. So again, our, our mission statement, making disciples by following or as we're following the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Notice Jesus says to teach them all things that I've commanded you. So again, when the culture will say, oh, that's outdated or, or you know, that's, no, you're going to be on the wrong side of history, this and that. No, the Lord Jesus Christ, his word is never outdated. And what he's commanded his church to, to do and to be is what by God's grace and by the spirit working in us we are called to, to be. So what an incredible mission this is, right? What a privilege it is. To be able to go out, and, and again, you think about, it's kind of like when Paul will say the foolishness of preaching, <laughs> right? I mean, Jesus could just, could just do this himself, right? I mean, couldn't he just kind of like zap everyone and, 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 or whoever he wants to, right, and make them a Christian and grow them and develop them? But he does it through his, his people, through the weakness of, and, 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 and even sinfulness of his people to, to highlight his glory and grace, to highlight his power and strength. So what a privilege this is. That we, God, we get to, to follow Christ and we get to be used by Christ. But, I don't know about you, but it's also very daunting, isn't it? I mean, who is, you know, again, as, as, as we're talking about this, as I'm saying it, you know, I'm thinking, yes, engage the lost. Well, how many times do I shrink back in fear? And, 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 you know, build into people, how many times do I just want to be selfish and, and just, you know, oh, I'm tired. You know, I'm just going to, I can't, I don't want to think about anybody else. I want to think about me, right? Me, me, me. Well, that leads us to our third and final point, which is, an, is a, I, I trust is an encouragement for our mission. And that's Christ's presence. Christ's presence provides a great encouragement for our mission here at the end of verse 20. Right, he's told them what to do. Make disciples, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, he says, listen, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is promising to be right there with us, giving us everything we need to carry out the Great Commission. And again, think of where we're at in, in the story here, right? In, in, in redemptive history. Yes, the disciples are getting to see Jesus and, and touch him and, and cling to him physically for now. But soon Jesus is going to be leaving this, the disciples. Soon he's going to be ascending into heaven to reign from the Father's right hand. But as he explained to them in the upper room, we didn't see it as we went through Matthew, but John records it, right? As he explained to them, he was going to send the helper. He said, it's actually to your benefit that I go away. Because when I go away, having been given all this authority, I'm going to wield that authority by sending the promised Holy Spirit upon you. 
And that's what he did in Acts chapter 2. With the early church there on the day of Pentecost. And now when God saves a person, every person God saves, the Holy Spirit enters into them, giving them a new heart, uniting them to Christ through faith. Every believer, every Christian is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Jesus is, that's how he's fulfilling this promise here. Jesus is with every disciple through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that is an amazing blessing. And it's a great encouragement to us when it comes to carrying out the Great Commission. Because again, we don't, in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength we don't have the courage. We don't have the wisdom or the love to make disciples of all nations. But Christ in you does. <laughs> With Christ in you, you can. Jesus, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, will provide all the grace, all the wisdom, all the love and endurance and power that you and I need to carry out the Great Commission. Jesus will be going before us to open doors, to be preparing hearts for, to hear the gospel. He'll be there to give that new birth, to give life and, and growth through his word. Jesus will be with us to come alongside us when we're discouraged, when we're fearful, right? He'll come alongside us to strengthen us, to encourage us, to guide us, to equip us, to do what he's calling us to do. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, loved ones. Jesus is with you as you seek to, to obey this mission that you've been given. So be encouraged today. Jesus is with you as you, as you invite your neighbor to an evangelistic Bible study. Even as you're getting to know your neighbor to, in order to invite them, he's with you. Jesus is, is with you as you share the gospel and your lives with those kids at Crown Valley that I know a group of you go and do that regularly. He's with you, right? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I'm sure it's like, man, these kids are so squirrely, you know, like, ah, are they even listening? You know, is this, he's with you. Depend on him. Pray. Ask for his, his help. Ask him to open their eyes. Jesus is with you as you share the gospel, as you share your lives, as you come alongside other believers. He's, he's there giving you courage to share your testimony with your coworker. He's there preparing the heart of your neighbors as you invite them to that evangelistic Bible study. He's there giving faith, because again, we're talking about disciple making, right? And, and certainly our... our our first mission field, you know, is, is even our own family, right? He's there with you as you're, uh, as you're sowing the, the word of God faithfully into your kids. Jesus is there giving faith and growth to your kids as you seek to teach and model the gospel to them. And again, we, we, there's nobody we sin against more than our own family, right? And so even when we sin and fail to to live out Christ to them. It's in those moments that God still redeems that moment by humbling us and coming, asking our kids to forgive us and saying, you know what? Mommy, Daddy is a sinner just like you. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And by God's grace, Jesus has saved me. Will you please forgive me? Be encouraged. You know, as you, you moms who 
who homeschool your kids and you're, you're trying to teach them God's word, you, you dads who you try to gather the family together after dinner to, to, to read a devotional, to read a section of God's word, and sometimes, you know, you're just met with kind of like, oh, man. Right, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to be here. And I know that gets discouraging. And in our flesh, we're tempted to just say, you know, forget it. Forget it. But no, in that moment, say, Lord, I need you. Give me, give me faith that your word doesn't return void to you. That you're being glorified even in the sowing. And please, open, open the hearts of, of my family. Open my heart even as, I, as we read your word together. Christ is giving you strength and wisdom as you seek to mentor. I'm thinking about Titus 2, you old, older ladies. He's there giving you strength and wisdom as you seek to mentor, mentor a younger wife, a younger mom, to love her kids and family. He's there giving you insight and confidence as you prepare a, a, a Bible study, as you prepare a lesson. Jesus is there as his spirit convicts you of sin and leads you to repentance, right? Because again, we're followers of Christ at the same time as we're seeking to make disciples, right? He's there sanctifying us, leading us to repentance, reminding us of the gospel, drawing us close to him in love. Jesus is there filling you, transforming you as you by faith seek to daily abide in him. So as I close, I have a few takeaways and then you know again some some people like just something practical they can, can where do I get started right and again these are just suggestions you know pray for God to to guide you and lead you but pick one unbeliever around you right this this past year um, I've had the privilege of starting a few discipleship groups using a, a, a helpful discipleship curriculum and and that's what they tell us to do right and they encourage us to pick find your one Who's one unbeliever around me that God has, has placed in my life? A coworker, neighbor, whoever, family member. And then start praying for them every day. Pray for an open door for the gospel. And then what can I intentionally do, you know, maybe every week to, to reach out to them, to, to some touch. Maybe inviting them to church. Maybe, you know, bringing them a meal. Maybe just inviting them to hang out. And asking them if they'd ever want to read the Bible. How can I continue to cultivate that relationship? Pray, 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 pray. Pray before you read the Bible. Pray before you hear the Bible, before you hear it taught, right? Because again, we're seeking to be disciples too. Pray and ask God uh, to, to show you Christ, to transform you so that you would become more like him. Again, if you're if, if your if schedules are helpful to you, maybe every night at dinner you pray for a missionary, you pray for a people group, you pray for the persecuted church, that Christ's name, his fame would spread. But the key to all of this, again, is, is God's grace and, and his presence and power through his spirit. But I, I guess the key takeaway for all of us as far as our application is abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Use the means of grace. Right? At our members' meetings, there's been times when I've, 
you know, kind of try to flesh out our mission statement a little more with gather, grow, and go. We gather together for the means of grace. We gather together to be learners and to hear God's word being taught and to be equipped. So, so then throughout the week, we can be growing ourselves, abiding in Christ ourselves. And through the equipping and gathering and, and through our personal growth, God equips us, motivates us, if you want to use that word, empowers us is probably a better word, to go. Go and make disciples. But the key is to abiding in Christ. Because, you know, whether it's evangelism or or, uh, discipleship, coming alongside a believer and asking someone to read the Bible with you, another believer, what we need is the fruit of the Spirit. And the more we abide in Christ, the more we're we're preaching the gospel to ourselves, the more we're, we're abiding in his love, having the words of his words of the gospel abiding in us. His love, the, the, the spirit will be producing that fruit of love for people. That's what we need, right? It's not, it's not about just having a guilt trip to, oh man, I got to evangelize, right? Because it's, it's having love. And the more we abide in Christ, the more his love will, will flow through us for others. The more we're abiding in Christ, the more we'll be reminded of who he is. That he is Lord. That he is exalted far above all rule and power and authority. And so we'll be zealous for his fame. We'll we'll want him to be worshipped by ourselves and by others, right? And so again, it will just naturally, we'll, we'll want to invest in people the things of this world will grow strangely dim, right? You know, wow, all these other things that can, can drain so much of my energy and resources, a lot of those don't seem that important anymore. I want to see Christ glorified. May God, may God bless you as, you as we seek to do that together. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you for who you are. Father, Son, Spirit, three in one. We praise you for this finished work of Jesus Christ, for, the, for your uh, plan of salvation that was designed before the foundation of the world and that was, again, uh, carried out by Christ and his obedient life and death and resurrection and now is continuing to be carried out through your Spirit, through your Word, as Christ from your right hand builds his kingdom we praise you that one of the blessings of knowing what what is happening in this world what you're doing in this world and even as we look around and we see so much sin we see so much evil we see uh, it gets discouraging but we're reminded you are on your throne you are reigning over all that you have a plan that you're carrying out that that you are uh, uniting all things under the headship of Christ. That you are building your kingdom, that Christ is returning, that one day he will eradicate all sin, that he is making all things new. And so may that truth, may that reality just just orient us and, and empower us, Lord, to not be discouraged, to not be fearful. May you give us a, a growing understanding of who you are, of, your, of, of, of the glory of Christ and what he has done, what he's doing May you give us a zeal for your kingdom and your glory. May you give us daily love and, and, and uh, 
and power, Lord. I'm so encouraged by that verse in, in 1 Timothy that you've not given us a, a, a spirit of fear, but a power and self-control. Give us courage, Lord, to speak up for Christ. Give us opportunities. Please help us continue to raise up disciples here in, in, in the church, in our families. Lord, help us to continue to learn and grow. May you be pleased to, to be transforming us more into your image. That, other, that others would see just, just a glimpse of your glory. We know we're a, a, a poor reflection right now. But may, may they see you and be drawn to you. And we thank you for that blessed hope that one day you will transform us to become like you. Encourage uh, my brothers and sisters here, Lord, thank you for the local church. Thank you that we can make disciples together. May you, may you give us wisdom, Lord. May you bless all the ministries of the word that go forth, all the gatherings. May you give us wisdom as we shepherd the, the flock, Lord. May you use this church to make disciples for your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing a final song of praise this morning.